This evening, we see what actually happens when a watery tart throws a title character at someone. We examine the closest thing we've ever gotten to James Bond going to sub-Saharan Africa. We talk about, the, about what is probably the most profoundly unsettling movie of all time. And they say you should never meet your heroes. We examine the cinematic case for never, ever meeting your number one fan. Welcome to They Don't Make Them Like They Used To. Good evening. You are listening to Sunshine Radio, the Sunshine, oh, the radio station for St. Mary's Hospital on the Isle of Wight. Thank you for joining us over the next hour and a half as we dive back through cinema history, tap some classic movies on the shoulder and say, your time in the spotlight is not up yet. My name is Tosin and joining me as ever are my fellow intrepid celluloid investigators, Sharon. Hello. And Sean. Oh yeah. So without further ado, let's tell you what you're in for. First up, we're going to have a bona fide classic movie, this week peaked by Sharon. We have adopted Alveston Ward in the hospital as a very own ward on this show. And from there, we have a patient choice from Shane. Hello, Shane, who tells us about some of his earliest film-going memories. Following that will be a hidden gem section, this week chosen by one of our podcast listeners and Facebook followers, Glenn. Then we shall round it all off with a feature called The Exception to the Rule. More on that later. All, well, all this while, we're also going to be going through our very own movie legend quiz. A legendary, fo- <laughs> legendary movie legend quiz. So, does that sound good, guys? It Sounds does. good. Sounds good. Let's get cracking then. Sharon, could you please tell us what have you chosen this week as your bona fide classic movie? Well, we do these unintentional themes, don't we? Well, our unintentional theme today seems to be legends. So, <laughs> this is the film of Excalibur. Anyone of a certain age will know Excalibur. It's the story of the legend of King Arthur. And it's as envisioned by this, I think he's an amazing director, John Borman. He's mad, but he's amazing. <laughs> I totally agree. He, 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 was, um, he wanted to direct Lord of the Rings. Yes, I would think really, that would have really been an wanted. interesting twist yeah. if he did it. But yeah, it's John Borman's vision of the Arthurian legend. All right, cool. So, yeah, now one this... Of, one of the Arthurian legends. One of the Arthurian... Oh, yeah, there's multiple of them. Yeah, but it's essentially John Borman's take on um on the Legend of King Arthur. Yes. Now, the thing is that over the years, I think the Legend of King Arthur has kind of been almost turned into a kiddie's story, into like a kiddie's fairy tale in some ways. And John Borman, this is the man who directed Deliverance. Yes. He's the, yeah. He is not known for making he essentially. I think it's got. It, you could make the argument that someone like Quentin Tarantino is a little bit of like almost like a godson. Of it's a cinematic mm-hmm. godson of yeah. like of John Borman, so he is known for blood and guts and so gritty stuff. So I actually remember Excalibur the first time I saw it. I found it on a channel, and I think I must have been in Nigeria. Mm. And we knew the legend because the legend obviously was like yeah. it would become like a kid story and everything like that. Legend of King Arthur. We even had a car- an, a cartoon called Arthur of Camelot, and I quickly realized that this was the King Arthur story. Yeah. I was like, oh yeah, this is the King Arthur story, but whoa. Whoa! It's quite dark and yeah. it's mystic. Yep. And it's eerie. Yep. And it's quite creepy as well in places. Quite dark, creepy. We're everything on there. So now we have some music from the film. Do, 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 yes, one. yes, yes. We have got that. We have got that. Th- that that shows up in quite a few sort of like film movie classics. But El Camino Burino. Yeah, it's Ofatuna. Ofatuna from Camino Burana. From Camino Burana by Carl Orff. So here is that, but here is the version from 
Excalibur. Enjoy. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait. Wait. There we go. And on that note, you know something's about to go down when you hear that. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So, in what context is this song played in the film? Well, this is um, this is when, basically, this is the first time that, like, when it's all obviously the you know, pull the stone. Yeah, because they they pull they try to pull the sword out the stone, mm. don't they? And finally, Arthur pulls it out, disappears for a little while, and then some of the knights, not all the knights, some of the knights won't accept him as as the king. Yeah. You know? So there's a big split. So what he does is he he sort of a pity Merlin comes along and says oh blah 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 anyway he goes and the few knights that are left yeah he goes and I always remember this I think it's great because I use it sometimes if any man would be a knight then follow a king then follow me and I remember one of them says where are we going just to the castle of Leon de Grant because it's under siege by the yeah because he 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 wants Arthur to be king so he's oh, like, yeah he's like it's besieged yeah I know what I saw. He is the true king, you know. And yeah. So, so and there's an amazing scene castle. where they the knights ride out, and it's almost and like a winter it. landscape, isn't it? And then mm. it's like spring with this song, spring bursts upon the landscape yeah. as the coming of the the once and future king. You know, this yeah. is about yeah. Arthur. Then, so the mm. blossom, you see the blossom, don't you? See the you knights do. in the armor riding through the blossom, and you think this is a sign that you know the world is waking up because it's got the once and future king. This, is this actually goes down as you can tell. This goes down as one of my probably my top 10 films <laughs> I love this film I love those just I can't say enough about it it's, if you're liking I know you did I'm sorry Shan I'm going to shut up now right it's, it's all yours film. it's all yours sorry mate <laughs> no, hey 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 it's everybody's it's no, every, we share we share you I should... can share my toys yeah, you can exactly okay so Sharon what else do you want to say about Excalibur why did you choose this film I chose this film because it, to me it's the definitive King Arthur story yep and it's one of those stories that, that I, you know, I love my history, but this is one of those stories that it's almost impossible to set in a period of history. It's like those that classic Dark Ages thing that something happened, but because it wasn't recorded, myths grow and legends grow and the story grows. And I think it's that whole romantic, romantic idea of the once and future king, you know, that King Arthur was the king once and he is going to be king again and that he's just waiting for that moment when he's needed and he'll be back. Yeah, He's just in his long sleep. But I think it's the whole that is eerie, it's mystic, it's romantic, it's dark. It has all those, and it feels like it's sort of come, couldn't be from anywhere else but England. So mm. it's one of those films that sort of tapped. Well, I went through a phase in my, when was it, in my early 20s, when I wanted to explore what it meant to be English. Yeah. So I looked at books and music and film and things, and this is one of those films that to me, couldn't be I know it was made by an Irishman <laughs> and probably filmed large in Ireland but it couldn't be about anywhere else but here and it sort of taps into that that idea you know that as a people we're linked to our land we're linked to our our history it's all intertwined it, it's almost it's almost kind of it kind of has almost a sort of British mysticism about it like, yeah. like kind of what you said but kind of like 
you know when people talk about the druids and yeah, you know you go back that sort of thing, yeah you they? go back into like you know the ley lines and like stonehenge and all that kind of stuff and it sort of taps into that yeah so it's almost kind of like this is the original sort of religion of england and yeah. it plays that up quite a bit it does yeah. even though it's got the whole growl quest sorry Sean. yeah no that's right i'll let you come in no, it has the whole not. growl quest which is a, is a very christian thing so it, yeah. it mm. intertwines you know, the sort of the history of the british isles plus has this sort of idea of you know, the grail would have been hidden here because, you know, where else would, <laughs> where else would it be? <laughs> and in those feet in ancient times, <laughs> walk up on England. I, 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 I think it's, um, it's, it's sort of in the Cornish area. It takes place because Cornwall, you yeah, know, because I think there's a little canter, yeah. Um, and Arthur originally, I think from, from, he was like a, Saxon, uh, a Romanized Britain. I think, yeah, post-Roman. You know, I think I suppose it was like, so when the Romans left and the Saxons came over, yeah. he sort of was like the, the, Romanized British king, if you like, that, yeah. that held the line there at Cornwall, and I think you know, like Bath, and there was supposed to be a, a yeah. major battle. So the legends fine. sprung up from. But the imagery of this is quite different, isn't oh, it? Yeah. So you've got these amazing knights in their armor, and you think mm. that that armor is pure, sort of like 14th century, but it's set in a story that's pre-Norman Conquest. Mm. So it, it mixes up all these legends and these ideas, the, and it's so completely romanticized. Well, the thing I remember, especially about the armor, even as a kid, it was just like, it, the way it was done, it seemed like this, the armor was always very shiny. Yeah, glowed it, almost. Yeah, it's, it's, it kind of glowed. It was sort of like these knights of the round table, and even the shots where like you have the round table and they all sat, they all sit yeah. down around it. And you, it just kind of, it just seemed to glow, and they're sort of like this sort of, I guess legendary, almost ethereal, a bit sort of like mythic characters. Yeah. That and even even in the sort of battle scenes, and they do get bloody, and they do get gritty, and yeah. people do lose limbs. I think, yeah. Oh, good lord! I just remember the shot from the film where you see a limb get come flying yeah. right off. I've actually <laughs> worn a suit of that armor. Have you? It's amazing. Yeah, I've got some photos on my phone, and maybe I'll show you later. But <laughs> I um I got a friend that does reenactments, and it's amazing. I I always thought they were like clunky horrible things and he, he gets his armor made in place in Czechoslovakia yeah and it's amazing how flexible it is I was really really surprised yeah. how actual you know like like the gaunts well, and everything fight in it so it's yeah. got a lot I mean it was heavy on. but I mean you could the but movement you could... was fairly free you know yeah so yeah but it's an extraordinary film and I think the if we look oh, at yes. the car we haven't oh, talked about the cast oh, but it's if you reel off some of these <laughs> names I mean you've got Nigel Terry plays King Arthur. I mean, he was quite a big thing in the 70s, but not so much now. Yeah. He's probably largely disappeared now, hasn't he? But yeah, yeah he was quite a big thing in the 70s. You've got Helen Mirren as Morgana Le Fay. Oh. And she, she's great. She was freaky in that film. She's, Are you my mother? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she channels the, something in this film, doesn't the, the, she? The Morgana Le Fay in this film, I remember even as a kid, I know, that she freaked me out. In that. Yeah. I was like, that is, that is a bad woman. <laughs> yeah, she's got things going on there. There's Sherry Lungi as Guinevere, um, Gabriel Byrne as Uther Pendragon, the father of Arthur. Mm -hmm. And there's that whole one, I think it's a great scene at the beginning, though. He's like, I must have a, I've got to have a, you know, a grain, and all this. Yeah. And then the pivotal role is Merlin, Nicole Williamson. Now, Sean is, I think, begging to ask a question. No, 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 I was just asking what you thought of Merlin. So I think something. he, to me, he's brilliant as Merlin I do and too. I think it all hangs on his performance whether you love it or hate it I know people who hate him hate him yeah because he's not the long white hair bearded Merlin he's got like this skull cap of oh the silver metal. skull cap yeah. yeah yeah and he talks in sort of quite a twisted way like the breath of the dragon and he's all going on about these strange things but I think the, he's brilliant do you remember the bit he says you say he it he goes a dream to some a nightmare to others and he flares <laughs> up and he flares yeah. up yeah 
like yeah. Raven's <laughs> That's wings. It. You, yeah, yeah, it's good. Well, that is, oh, it also has Liam Neeson in it because I remember. Yeah. I remember Patrick Stewart as well pops up. Oh, good. Because I remember watching. I remember obviously I watched this film after I'd seen them in other stuff. I'm going. Hang on a second. <gasps> Young it. Liam Neeson. Mm. <laughs> I think it must be one of his earliest the films. Ones, yeah. yeah. He was in the Mission as well, which was a little made little after that, that, this. No, the Mission was around about '96. The Mission with Robert De Niro in it. Was it? Yeah. Was it much later? That as that as late as that. Yes, as late as that. Yeah. Golly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the names in those days are great, aren't they? Yeah. Utha. Ukraine. Going. Because Graham was played by John Borman's daughter. Yeah. All right. And Jan Mordred was played by Charlie Borman, who we know from like the round the world. Oh films yeah, 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 yeah. Borman's son as well. Wasn't it? Yeah, that was, yeah. That was John Borman's son. John yeah. Borman's son. Yeah. So he liked to put a lot of his family in the films. Yeah, if it works, and if you end up with something like Excalibur, because yeah. it's a film that I know, and I, I, I think I have to go back and watch it as a grown up. I have to go back and watch it, but I, I do remember watching it and thinking, man, this is different from all the other King Arthur legends, and this is good. Yeah. This, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a proper legend, isn't it? And I yeah. mean, it, it, everything sort of made sense with the Gwen. Because I mean, I never, even, even though I saw the film and I knew about King Arthur, I never really knew, you know, the, I knew the Guinevere, and the, but I didn't know the whole how he met Guinevere, and it just makes sense, you know. He's like, when he, that castle that they relieve the siege yeah. of, it's the, the Grant, Leo de Grant's daughter that's actually there, yeah. Guinevere, you know, and it's just like, oh, yeah. Because that's kind of like Arthur's sense. Arthur's proving. Yeah. Yeah, when, when it goes, yeah. it's like, it's Arthur proving that he is, that, yeah, I am king material. So, okay, most films about King Arthur are called King Arthur or yeah. Arthur and the Knights or something like that. About the only Knights one that can think. Table. Yeah, yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. something like a, a first knight. <laughs> this is, is named there, after a sword. Yeah, exactly. This is named after Excalibur. Is, do you think that there's any significance to that? The fact that, like, okay, this is John Borman, and we know that once you say John Borman's going to make a King Arthur movie, it's going to be different. So do you think there's any significance to the fact he named the film after the sword? Or, yeah, I, mm. or do you think it was just him going, everything else is called King Arthur, this is going to be different? Well, I think the focus isn't actually on Arthur. I think the story, he's in there, but it isn't all about him. It's not his the central point of him. So, And with Excalibur, Excalibur's forged before Arthur is born. Mm-hmm. And it's originally given to Uther. And so I think... In some ways, you could say Excalibur represents the legend that it existed before Arthur and it in the legend because it was thrown back into the arms of the lady in the lake. Yeah. That it exists after the legend. Yeah. And like you know, Arthur is the once and future king, it's like Excalibur is waiting to be. Yeah. To be reclaimed, handed yeah. back. Yeah. And, yeah. So it's by I the, think it's by the, the watery legend. tart. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Michael Paling. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's it's it symbol symbolizes that fact that it's a legend that endures. It existed before and it will exist after, and it it's yeah it it it's that yeah but, the history because you know they're, they're making another King Arthur now because yeah because obviously I've just done some extra work and and there were people who were there who were saying yeah I was on King Arthur last week so they're filming another King Arthur now oh right yeah and but I just the truth is I I feel like Excalibur is the definitive I mean I know that that there's different I know there's different legends and everything like that but I think nothing that's going to be done with King Arthur is going to be as artistic as sort of like idiosyncratic as kind of weird but at the same time you're like but this is awesome. Nothing is going to be as no, good as that. It has that visionary quality to it that you think this is. The, yeah, it's taken the madness and the myth and the legend and the everything, and it's just 
works yeah. i think i actually don't i actually don't think i've seen a film like it <laughs> i don't think um, it does have this whole thing where everything seems a bit misty and maybe slightly out of focus and the whole look it looks a little bit like someone smeared vaseline on a camera yeah. <laughs> but, but at the same time it just seems to work it just it just really 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 does, yeah. it does so and they they're bad characters are bad aren't they you oh, really yeah. oh. you just hate Mordred don't you there's no one oh. out who says oh well, no he's quite nice no you hate you absolutely oh. hate it reminds him. me out of um, that uh, Game of Thrones Joffrey is it oh Joffrey, Joffrey yeah, yeah this sort of horrible little just prince king no yeah. redeeming feature at all <laughs> no yeah, I, I, I remember. and the whole scene with the, the the crows and the dead knights on the tree you know they're hung from the tree they're on the growl quest oh my god it's all coming encounter, back they encounter Mordred and he Basically, hangs them as trophies, doesn't he? And you see the rooks or the crows, whatever, pecking at them. Oh, oh my word! It's all coming it's back. It's all—it's dark and it's a bit twisted. Mm. And then there's the whole incest bit, and you think there's there's lots going actually, on in there. Actually, no. The more you talk about this, the more I think Game of Thrones owes a massive debt to this. Yeah, yeah I think so. I, I think, think George no, R. R. Martin is a fan of this sort of thing and English history and legend and that sort of thing as well. Isn't oh, it? good, good. All right, cool. Because this is such a big thing, and I know Sean, you were just bursting. I'm going to unprecedented. I'm going to give you your final word before Sharon has the final word. So, okay. Sean, your final word. Go. Um, I, as you can tell, I'm really enthusiastic about this film, and and it's a great choice. It would have been one of mine if Sharon. If only you thought, it. It. thought of it. <laughs> if only you so, had your listed. So. <laughs> So all to say is that, you know, if you like any, if, if you like action, if you like mysticism, if you like a great story and you like the story of King Arthur and Excalibur, then you, you've got to see this movie because it's great. Great movie. Yeah, you could almost say if you like Game of Thrones, this yeah. is where it began almost, that that big, bigger picture. Because people are like blown away by Game of Thrones. Cause it's like, hang on, this is just not like anything we've seen before. I think if you look at Excalibur, you could say the same. Actually, this where did this come from? Because this is not like anything yeah. before in many ways since. It's like Check fantasy, it fantasy, but grown up. Yeah, proper fantasy. Yeah, oh, all right, cool, good stuff. Right, now, it is a thank you so much for that, Gerald. I think that there is a lot more we could say about it, but it's, it's a film that I look at it and I go, I need to go watch that again. I need to, <laughs> I need to go revisit that. But um, it's time for our film quiz. Sean, you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay, cool. So what happens with the film quiz? This is our movie legend film quiz. Sean is going to go through four clues throughout the show. He's going to feed them, to the, feed these to us piecemeal. And at the end of, by the end of the show, we've got to guess and figure out who it is he's talking about. So Sean, could you give us clue number one, please? Indeed. Right, this is one of America's most prolific actresses. She was born in 1922 in Cincinnati, Ohio. Her grandparents were all German, and in 1950, US servicemen in Korea voted her their favorite star. She is number 42 on the American Film Institute's top 100 actresses. Okay, cool, that's a whole bunch of stuff to chew on. German grandparents, loved by the USS people. The US service, US service Korea, people. Yeah, 1950. And in 1950, born in 1922, so she'd have been around about 30 then. And she's prolific. Yeah, she's Pro she's number 42 on the American Film Institute's top 100 actresses. Okay, cool. When you say prolific, do you mean that she made a lot of films? A lot or? of films. Okay. Yeah, she made loads of films. Yeah. Okay, good. Good, 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 good. I will put that in there and we'll figure that out. Mm. <laughs> 1922. 1922, more to think about. But now, 
we go to our adopted ward, Alveston. Alveston. Oh, are we gonna sing it again now? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Oh, okay. <laughs> you, you just did. You, yeah. just, you just did. Okay, well, uh, I promise I will find where that music bit went and we'll get it back. <laughs> we will get it back. But, um, so I went into our pet ward, Alveston, where I met Shane. And Shane uh, was kind enough to have it to chat to me for a little while and just talk to me about some of his early experiences in cinema. This is what he had to say. First film you ever saw in the cinema or an early one you can remember? Uh, the earliest I can remember was Convoy. 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 And then the when I was in school, we watched Wild Geese in school. Wild Geese, so that's like the Roger Moore, Richard Harris. Yes. Seen that as well. So, how about, so tell me about, tell me about Convoy. What do you remember about Convoy? Who was in it? Like, uh, Chris, Chris, Chris Christopherson, um, Ernest Bergine, Bugnoin, Bug whatever his name is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Bro, yeah, yeah. Um, can't remember the others, but they're the main, main two I can remember. So, do you remember who you saw it with or what the situation was when you saw it with those films? Um, so the so convoy with friends, and as I said, the Marquis was in school where, as part of a movie club. Cool. So was that secondary school, university? Uh, that was secondary. secondary. Yeah. And what is your abiding memory of both convoy and the Wildies? <laughs> Two really good films that I watch over again. Yeah. Yeah, I watch them over again. Yes, and from The Wild Geese, here is The Flight of the Wild Geese by Joan Amatrading. on that woman it's yeah, great you forget that she'd been around for so long haven't you because she seems to have just been just amazing well the thing I've always found out about her is that there's always all these songs that I'm like that there's really great songs that she's done and you're like oh who does that song and you go check them and you're like oh it's her oh it's her again <laughs> but yeah voice on that woman now even hearing that song first of all Shane thank you thank you thank you for this because <laughs> this is a film that I, can't, I think I probably would have forgotten about them. <laughs> I, I, th I don't think I would have put it on, but I do... Even hearing that song takes me back to be around about the age of seven. Uh, we oh, were around the age of seven in Nigeria in a in a town city called Abba and having this on Betamax. Having <laughs> this on Betamax and going, oh, look, that's James Bond on the cover. And they're putting it in and they're watching it and going, what the... What the, that's not uh, James Bond. This this is not a James Bond film. <laughs> there's other people in it, and there's stuff happening. And I just remember, like, even hearing that song reminds me of uh, being a kid and pretty much crying my eyes out after watching this film because it is it is a great, powerful, 
I think a powerhouse of a movie. Sean, what do you reckon? Yeah, you said it all. It's absolutely <laughs> brilliant. This this is this was great. I saw this at the cinema, and this was one. This was one of those films that had an intermission. And oh, there's yeah? a bit at the end where they go through all the they 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 do all the training. They've been recruited. They do the training, and then just before they go off, they're in the plane. And they all they all parachute out, and then it sort of you get a, we had a ten minute break, so it's like doom, 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 and then you you had a break in the movie, which is which is great, which I love. So you yeah, had a break, you got your ice cream, you had the ladies with the little they carrying the little yeah, things with the tubs of ice cream in, and that always used to have a vanilla ice cream. <laughs> and that 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 piece of music is at the end of the movie, and uh, I just yeah. remember when they show all the characters what they played, you know who they played and stars, oh, yeah, and they yeah. play, they actually show the characters, and they'd say like you know. Roger Moore played Sean Flynn, and I mean this. This is a great choice. This is a, what a great show this one is for me. This is just like it's, 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 it's all, all coming, it's all coming back to you now. It's all coming back to me. Yeah, but you know, loads of actors in it. We, we were talking about it earlier, and we didn't really want to <laughs> say too much. We wanted to hold it for the show. Didn't we wanted we? to hold it back for the show. But you've got, yeah. you've got your Richard Burton, Richard Harris, oh, Stuart Granger. Yeah. This is this is one of those films where like little little bits of of dialogue little bits of script I, you know I can always remember yeah. and and bits like when they're they're taken over the airport and um, Hardy Kruger's got a crossbow with like little quarrels of cyanide in and there's oh, like yeah. the guards in the town it goes <laughs> like that and hits them and sort of kills them instantly that's that's okay. sorry. Yeah, go okay, on. Okay, <laughs> I'm just thinking. I'm just thinking. I think we need to step back. And before we have See, a total love, yeah, definitely. Yeah, what is this film about? Oh yeah. Okay. So yeah, what is so? Um, Do you want me? Yeah. Okay. okay. But basically, it starts off. Um, Richard Burton needs to recruit some mercenaries because what they want to do, they want to break this this leader or exiled leader out of prison in this country that has that has had a military coup. So um, the guy Stuart Granger. Out of a southern African country. Yes, yeah, a southern African country. Mm. He's he's sort of in prison, so he wants a group of mercenaries. So he says, uh, they're discussing the the plot at the beginning. He says, oh, I'm going to need 40 men with four officers. And basically he recruits. So he goes around and says, yeah, that's okay. We'll pay you the money. We'll pay you 10 grand each. And the officers get 40 grand. And so he goes around and then he gets the four officers, Richard Harris, Hardy Kruger, um, and uh, James Bond, your man, Roger Moore, <laughs> Sean Flynn, <laughs> and uh, they have to recruit. Uh, and and there's a great bit in it where they're actually having the soldiers come in. Yeah, and, and they're the, asking. The, essentially the interview. Yeah, there's, there's like an interview, interview. montage where they yeah. they're choosing who they're going to take. I love it, sir. I go and do nothing else, you know. And there's yeah. so a few of them are old one. He goes, "It's all I know, sir. I just want to do it." And they go, "Okay, okay, Tosh. That's Tosh. He's from the SS." Because they all wear when they go out, they've all got their cat badges on yeah. for different yeah. regiments. Yeah. Because know, it's because the the mercenaries, but because the thing is, the more I think about this film, the more I think that it. This film was making quite a few social political points at that time because I watched it as a kid and thought, awesome action movie, brilliant action movie, great scenes. And it's one of the few action movies where they have all these, as you said, a large cast. And, you know, because it's going to be like a war movie, you know, they're not all going to survive. Mm. But every single one of them, when they die, is not throwaway. It's like I remember feeling it. I remember like yeah. watching this woman going, "Oh my, oh my God, why, why He's him, died. why him?" No. But you said that for all of them. But, but and I think, but also one of the points that I think that they were making because all these mercenaries were former soldiers. Mm. They were, they, yeah, they're, they're former soldiers, and it's the fact that they recruit them as like, like I was saying, like, look, I know nothing else. What else am I going to do with my life? I can't just go get a normal job. 
and get me this. Eat, Take me even. to a get, get, parachute me to a war torn con- country. Yeah. Well, even Witty, today, even I, the, the funniest thing I remember is is Witty, the medic, and they recruit Witty, and he goes, <laughs> you know, he's like the medic, but he's he's obviously really really effeminate, you know, and he goes, <laughs> you know, he's but he's only a small guy, but when he recruits him, and it goes, Witty, what are you doing here? And he goes, Well, I'll have to say to my man you know my proctologist i've got my proctologist <laughs> i need to go and see but anyway but, but apart from that back to the story i guess um yeah, oh, yeah so what they do is they they so anyway they they do a bit of training i mean i've gone about ages so so they train each other up and then they parachute into this 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 country unnamed yeah, african country. state yeah and they split into two groups one go to break him out of prison and the others go to capture an airport so hardy kruger and sean Flynn go to capture the airport richard harris and and um Richard Burton they go to break him out of prison yeah so they're in like two groups anyway basically they get him out of prison they take over the airport and then they're all at the airport with Mr Lombardi ready to go and then there's a deal being struck with Stuart Granger and the plane comes in right the plane they're all waiting for the plane they're all going yeah yeah like that oh my word and then they say Charlie one Charlie one you know turn around and take off so the plane lands and they all run off to it and then it turns and around it, and takes oh, off. Oh, good God. And they don't all make it, do they? Uh, no, no. And, but, oh. and then, yeah, but when the plane takes off and the, then they go and they have to say, well, what are we going to do? Do we go, do we we stir, start up a, a revolution in this country? Or go? And Richard Harris is really good. He goes, you know, they won't let us in in South Africa. They won't. So they decide uh, that they need to go to this Mr. Lambardi's village and try and, you know, the best they can is start like a, a bit of an insurrection. And on the way, they meet the priest on the donkey. You heathens! What are you doing here, <laughs> you heathens? And he knows of a plane for them to get out. Yeah. But uh, I just remember, after a few had been shot, there's like a few going on. He goes, oh, we've lost, we've lost, I don't know, 10 men. I've got 20 wounded. That's a hell of a force. And I just remember the sergeant major said, well, I wouldn't like to be up against it, sir. And I just, that's like the, the <laughs> st- yeah. stiff upper lip, you know, that's a well, yeah, great movie. Because the thing about it is, so like what you're saying that, you know, you were just reminding me because I remember that scene and the, because the whole thing, the whole reason why they want to break him out. And this is this is the thing that I watched it as a kid. Watch it as a kid, think awesome ac- action movie. When we're growing up, we're thinking, "Oh wow, oh she's action movies, got black people on the screen, and all that kind of stuff," and not realizing how political it was, or mm-hmm. kind of. So it's and the, when I grow up now, I look at it, and it's like there's uh, there's the point about what soldiers are like, and like they just need that fight to actually go. They need something to live for. They need they need some sort of thing to go. But then there's also the whole idea of, well, for me anyway, of like you know the sort of Western countries coming into Africa and just using it for its resources because the reason they want to break the guy out is so that. If he because he he was in charge of the country. He was in charge. Of the there country. was a military coup and he got deposed. And they want to break him out because then if they break him out and they help him take back power, he can do stuff for them. And then and then Stuart Granger is the one who wants to do it because he's a sir. He's some sort of aristocrat. Sir, yeah. so, and, sir Edward Matheson. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and, and so so, the name. yeah, yeah and, <laughs> oh, and it's just the, and so the whole idea is that you do this, you do this, and you rendezvous at this airport. I mean, rendezvous at this airport. We'll send a plane to come pick you up. But then they make another deal that works out better for him. So they say, yeah, it works for us for this African leader to die, and we're just going to forget about all the men who we sent in there saves, saves them a lot of money yeah it saves a lot of money they don't have to pay them and i i just rem- i remember that scene i remember the pain I, because i I, watch, I remember watching this as not understanding all the politics or anything mm. like that but just knowing they have just left those guys there to die 
And I, just, I remember just the pain of watching this woman go, no, why are they doing that? And they have to, when they have to go, and the thing is that they also focus, like we're talking about Smitty, and they also talk about the Richard Harris character. They focus on the people who they are leaving behind yeah. to go. They focus at, and it, man, this is a deep film. It is this a deep is, film. This is such a good mm. film. And, it, and it's, as I said, it's the first film that I ever saw Roger Moore in where he wasn't playing Bond. And for my money, it's his best performance. Yeah, yeah, okay, yep. Yeah, maybe. I think yeah, probably actually. If I in anything, it's any in anything. I think it just it just he doesn't to me. It doesn't feel like you know he's just playing Roger Moore. Mm. Like everything else, he is does kind tend of, to do mm. that, doesn't he? He's yeah. like Roger Moore as Roger Moore. Roger, show yeah. me emotion. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Roger, Roger, show me anger. Mm. <laughs> yes, a, a spitted image. Spitted image with the yeah. eyebrows. With the eyebrows. Yeah. Yeah. It's like now, Roger, give me windscreen yes, wipers so like, on a rainy one. day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, but it's. Yeah. So I, I think it's yeah I, I just think this this is a film that I remember even watching it as a seven year old, it has a gut punch. Mm-hmm. Oh definitely and, yeah. And the one I'm thinking I'm th- I remember that I did not grasp most of what was going on. I did not grasp the you significance. Didn't the side of it. I didn't I didn't grasp the significance to someone like me growing up in an African country. I did not grasp the significance of what they no. were saying with the mercenaries coming in. I did not grasp that at all. I just thought also the action movie and a gut punch of just emotion at the end of the film. Well, I, I think around that time sort of when that was made just before around about 70s 78 yeah there's i think and it was must have been about 77 there was a case where a mercenary soldier killed a load of his own men i think it was in the news there was it was i'm trying to think mad what was a guy called mad dog but anyway they they were in an african country and they were mercenaries and the the chap who was leading the mercenaries shot a lot of his men and there was a big fuss about it and all that and and in all these different countries there's another film um called dogs of war which yeah, is uh, have you seen Dogs mm, of War? Yeah. yeah, where they go into Africa. So yeah, there's quite a few, few African films. I've just thought of about <laughs> ten films. The mercenary film is another subgenre. Guns at Batavia. It's another. It's yeah. another. It's another subgenre. And if if we want to get really really political and uncomfortable. Talk about the depiction of Africa in cinema. Oh. Yeah, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna go <laughs> yeah, in on sorry. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna yeah. go in on that. The but depiction of Africa in cinema. What, okay, okay. This must yeah, be a nice <laughs> yeah, friendly sorry. show. I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna start running from no, office no, just no. yet. <laughs> just there. But Shane, Shane, thank you so much. Good choice. Thank you so much. You have re, you have sort of like reworked something in my child. I need to go watch this film mm. again. I actually, remember, I think I have. I have it on DVD. Yeah, yeah I, I've got it on DVD. I bought it on DVD specifically because I remember this being a great film when I was a kid, mm. and uh, I'm glad to see yeah. that I wasn't wrong. That's one that my dad always liked. I like. Yeah. I think he liked the depiction of because my dad was an RSM in his regiment. Mm. I think he liked the depiction of the RSM in here training the men and shouting at them. Yeah, <laughs> well, I remember watching this with my dad and my brothers in the 70s. So yeah, that's it. It's it? uh, yeah, it's, it brings yeah. back memories. He goes, yeah. You can call me Alan when when no one's around. Yeah. Okay, so I will, sir. Thank you. <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> but no, it's great. Is, I, I just remember something from the training montage where they're sort of like yelling at him and everything like that. And there's a bit where because obviously these are older soldiers, and one of them is just lying on the floor, and he's kind of like, oh, "It's okay, sir. Just leave me alone, sir. I can't do it anymore." And then the guy just brings <laughs> out because he has his eyes closed and he's on the ground. He just brings out a gun and shoots the ground right yeah. beside his head, and he just goes. <laughs> I guess if I runs yeah. off. <laughs> I've suddenly discovered I've got some energy left. <laughs> well, I just oh, I remember that. I think it's a oh, good film. But thank once again, once again, thank you, Shane. All right, Sean, it is now time for... Oh, the second clue. Second go. clue. Second <laughs> clue in a movie legend guessing game. Yeah. Okay. In her autobiography, she said her best film performance was opposite James Cagney. 
producer Joe Pasternak said, I was stunned that she didn't get an Oscar nomination. And the soundtrack album from that movie with James Cagney was a number one hit that stayed charted for 28 weeks. I think I am yeah. close. That's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think I'm, I'm with my first. I'm going to stick with my first reply. I, my I, first I think I, I had somebody. In, I had somebody in my mind when you said that. I had somebody in my mind when you said the first one. I think this is kind of like because James Cagney's soundtrack movies. Even though he was a song and dance man, he did not do that many mm. song and dance movies because he kind of he kind of became like tough guy. You know, hey, say. Yeah. All right. Okay, cool. Thank you very much for that. So that's it. We'll be back for two more clues. And now we go into the bit of the show, which is the hidden gem. So this is a bit of the show where we say this is a film that has been made. It has been put out there. Most of the world has ignored it or does not know about it. It's not in the general (laughs) consciousness of people, but but it should be or or it's awesome. And this is another. This is a film that was chosen by, chosen by Glenn. Yeah, chosen by Glenn, who we all know from the film quiz that we all attend at Cine World on a Thursday night. Pay us, Cine World. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, and Glenn chose this because he went to a Facebook page. On Facebook, they don't make them like they used to. And he he suggested he said, "Oh, these are the films." And this is a film that I think is actually quite well known. But I agree with Glenn that it's a hidden gem because not that many people know it because it is very weird, it is very idiosyncratic, and it's very its director. Hmm. And that film is Eraserhead. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's an acquired taste. I think it's one of those films people know of, but they haven't seen like me. I know of it, but I just haven't seen it. You haven't seen it. Oh, I remember I caught Eraserhead because there was a time... um, I remember I moved back to England around about 1996, so this was the time before the internet. This was before YouTube yeah. and all that. And there was, they used to do seasons. This was, they used to do seasons on like BBC Two. So the whole like, you know, seasons, Mark Kermode would show yeah. up and, or Barry Norman would show up and go, oh, Eraserhead, David Lynch's blah, 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 and explain it. Yeah. And so I just think, oh, wow, these guys are talking about all these films that I would record them to watch. So I recorded Eraserhead and sat down and tried to watch it. And I was just kind of like, what's going on yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i was like what is going on and so it's and everybody says it's a classic everybody but i uh, what sean said about it being an acquired taste is bang on the money because mm-hmm. it's like what's going on why is that guy's hair so weird <laughs> so sean if there is <laughs> if there is if tell us what storyline there is if anything of a razor hair just tell us what the heck a razor okay, hair is okay i'll tell you what the story is um i'm just going to say that when i saw this at the pictures some people did actually walk out a little bit of way through because yeah. it was like whoa but okay the story is there's this guy called henry and he's basically like a normal sort of guy but he um he lives in this it's, it's, it's a black and white film very yeah. surrealistic yeah anyway so he goes to he goes to his girlfriend's parents house and that's a, he goes, there's these little chickens. Man-made things, Henry. Big as your fist, carve them just like regular chickens. Really, really weird. And then, and then his girlfriend's mum says, you know, your girlfriend's pregnant. So basically, on all the time, he, he, Henry never really says much. He's just sort of, you know, very, very quiet. <laughs> yeah, person, yeah. He, and he, he just says, oh, okay. And uh, so, and he, and he has all these fantasies about. Um, this this woman in the radiator who stares at the radiator sometimes and there's a woman with like pouches on her cheek 
treading on all this ectoplasm stuff. So it's all pretty. Anyway, so lots, lots of stuff like that. But basically, you're really the story convincing is, me to go and see this. Is, yeah, I don't, I don't think it'd be up your street, really. <laughs> but uh, it is, it's, it, it's worth a what. Anyway, so so they have this baby, and he lives with his girlfriend for a little while, and the baby's really, really strange. It's sort of wrapped in swaddling clothes, but it's got a, a like a funny shaped head. It looks looks totally bizarre but his girlfriend can't put up with it so she clears off and he tries to look after this baby and all the time he's looking after his babies having these fantasies and he's seeing things explode this there's a woman opposite that's real real a real vamp that's like you know he's, he has fat anyway so he has all these fantasies and then the baby gets ill and he tries to make the baby better so he decides that he's gonna he better take this swaddling clothes off this baby and it's just like a hearts and lungs anyway so it's just I mean that's I know it sounds and it is a really really acquired taste I think I'm, some I can understand why some people walked out but if you stick with it there's a really really great, great twist at the end I don't know if right. well, no 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 we're not saying we're not going to say that don't no. tell we're not going to say it. Oh, never tell yeah. the twist because no, er, erase, white, yeah, I, I think Eraserhead <laughs> Eraserhead is pretty much uh, even though it's been out for ages even though it's been out for ages I think it's it's enough of a hidden gem that telling the twist would be a, would just be like a massive spoiler. Yeah. But but the thing the thing I think about it is I look at this film and I and I said like I said in the intro it's probably the most profoundly unsettling film. Really yes. Pro, but everything everything about this film it seems if the aim was to make a film that was profoundly unsettling and seeing that this is David Lynch that could very well have been his aim. It <laughs> yeah. is a resounding success in that I don't think I've ever feel, seen a film that, seen? that has yeah. creeped me out as much as there's some lynchy does some great movies <laughs> I, do, well, I do i i do quite like lynchy movies okay Except, well, i mean even june was good you must have seen i june. love june yeah. yeah okay now to show okay to, i was talking about how everything about this one was profoundly unsettling usually we play music from these from, <laughs> from films and all that kind of stuff i couldn't really because quite frankly there's like two pieces of music in this film that are both about 40 minutes or 20 25 minutes long in, in of, of each and this is just a snippet because i couldn't bear to play the whole thing <laughs> this is just a snippet of the kind of music that is used in this film che check this out okay at the moment it might sound like nothing but this is actually part of the soundtrack of the film and then it carries on and it goes on <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. It is very goosebumpy, very goosebumpy. Yeah, that's it. And that is a snippet. That was 52 seconds. That bit carries on for probably about two minutes before something else happens that is equally as weird. <laughs> yeah, that has that slight thing. makes your skin go a bit, oh, strange, what's going on? Exactly, and that's just the music. Yeah. And trust me when I tell you that the visuals in this film, I mean, I think 
when you talk about it being filmed and iconic shots and everything like that they are brilliant iconic shots in this film there's henry with his hair that just henry with his hair his hair alone is kind of like an icon of cinema yeah that's the image you think of when you think of the film is that picture the, the cover of the dvd isn't it of the guy with this sort of Mr. Whippy haircut. Yeah, like like stuck my finger in an electric socket. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's just got that sort of expression blank, as well. Blank expression blank on his yeah. face. Like, oh, well, so, a fatalist. So, yeah. So I, I think I think it's it's kind of because sometimes I get a bit sort of film theory about things. And I think as, as an example of what cinema can do in that make you just feel extremely... Uh, I feel it's, it's almost like... It's almost like... Uh, uh, what's the word like an experiment or an exercise in how to make people feel really really unsettled mm. and really really without them knowing exactly why mm. and the film is like that you're just watching it going I'm intrigued that's a good that's a nicely composed shot something is going on I want to find out more but I just feel like there's something not quite right here like something's yeah. about to happen like and I so for that I think it's very very well made but I think I'm in between two camps. I'm in between thinking this is a weird, crazy film and thinking this is actually brilliant. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 brilliant. Mate. There was another Lynch thing. He did a TV series called Radio. I think it was called Radio Days about a radio station in the 1920s, which was I think it's only about 10 episodes. But if you check that out, that's pretty bizarre as well. That's great. <laughs> Well, yeah. that's well, that's the David Lynch is pretty bizarre. He's br- he's mm. great, but I mean, was it Elephant Man? Was probably his his most his most yeah. straightforward. Yeah. And thing. it was about straightforward film, wasn't it? Really, but even that black and white, black and white, like, and a bit like, yeah. strange. But yeah, I liked his June. I suppose some people yeah. hated June, but yeah, I some really people liked did. It. I really liked. June. I, I think especially fans of the original book. The books, yeah. I've I mean, nev- I haven't read June. I've never read the books or seen the film, but I know that people who read the book are like, "Oh, for goodness' sake, that wasn't Dune!" And I know that he, because he wasn't the original director, he was brought in, and somebody yeah. else had like a more faithful. So it seems like it was a studio thing that's kind of like hashed it up. But it's, hey, it's weirdly yeah compelling. It's got it's got notoriety. Yeah, it's yeah it has. They, they're quite good. Those films, don't they? When they get a bit of not, notoriety. Well, well, I, I just think I think Lynch is a brilliant director. Oh, I, I think I, I think he's a brilliant director. I just feel I just really feel like his head would be a scary place to be. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's and I think, blue velvet. So I think blue, blue velvet. <laughs> everything, even Mulholland Drive mm, and Mulholland, all that yeah. kind of stuff, and it's U Turn. All these films, they just mm. even the lesser Lynches, you if you will. <laughs> Have something about them that just make you go, there's something in here, but I don't know what's going on. What's going on here, yeah. yeah. But, no, great director, Eraserhead, really, really polarizing film. But I think it's I think it's worth a watch, even just to figure out why it's so polarizing and figure out what the heck is mm. going on. All right, cool. Um, from there, Sean. Right, okay. In an interview in 2006, this actress said, I've been through everything. I always said I was like one of those round-bottomed circus dolls. You know, those dolls you could push down and they'd come back up. I've always been like that. I've always said, no matter what happens, if I get pushed down, I'm going to come right back up. Ooh. Okay, that's a bit of a curveball. Yeah, well, you got. A, a, I took lessons from Joe on throwing in a curveball. <laughs> that's a bit of a curveball because the person who I was thinking of, I thought she died by then. Hmm. Is this person still alive? Uh, or oh, is that is that too much? Or would that be telling? So they're pretty old if they are, but that's, yes. it's possible. It's entirely possible that they are still. Okay. All right. Cool. Cool. We'll leave that there. We'll leave that there. 
Okay, and now we come on to the bit of the show, which we call the exception to the rule. The rule is a titular rule, which is they don't make them like they used to. We're talking about films made before 1980. But every now and then, there's something that comes around and just blows that whole theory right out of the water. And this week is chosen by somebody else who is not in the studio today. It's so cool. This is chosen by Ellie, who is one of the one of the workers at Cine World Cinema. So she actually mentioned this film, and I was like, "Oh yeah, oh my word, yeah, that's a good film. That is a good film. We need to talk. We need to put that on." Sharon, would you like to tell us what film it is that Ellie chose? I've forgotten. You forgot what it was. You forgot what <laughs> it was. I've just gone mentally blank. Oh, Sean, do you remember? No. You do not remember. <laughs> oh, people, people. We thought that was yours. We thought you were... You were the yeah, exception. yeah, no, 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 no. I know what it is. I know what we it is. just let you, you down us, by then. being <laughs> You better tell us then. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, you're going to kick yourself when you hear this. She chose... Oh, I remember now. Yep. Well, I've had a prompt. I've just looked it up. I've looked it up. <gasps> yes, this is an extraordinary film, actually. Kathy yep. Bates, as you've never seen her before. Yeah, I, yeah, okay. <laughs> Misery. Misery. Based on a Stephen Misery. And James Kahn. James Kahn and Kathy Bates. And now, Kathy Bates. Now, wow. When she mentioned this film last night, when she mentioned, she was like, oh yeah, Misery. When she said this, one of the other people who was there was like, oh my God, that's Kathy Bates. Oh, she's scary. Yeah, and who would have thought that you'd say to Kathy Bates? Scary. I know, I know exactly, because that's the thing, because Kathy Bates, before this, the role she was, she would be like, you know, so funny, there should be the funny older woman who would show up. She'd be the sort of like, you know, the big, sort of like jolly person yeah, because of her size. Slightly, you know, downtrodden housewife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but uh, good hearted. Yeah, but, uh, but in this film, it was like a total revelation. And the thing is, because she says, she said, Kathy Bates, she's scary. Uh, but she hasn't seen Misery. She was like, and I'm thinking the character that she plays in this film, Annie Wilkes, is just so big and so iconic and so larger than life. Yes. That that is her perception of Kathy Bates, even though she hasn't seen the film. Kathy Bates is a scary woman. Uh, yeah. So, do you want to tell us a little bit about the storyline of Misery, Sharon? Yes, Misery. It's the, the Misery actually is a, is a character is the name of a character in a series of romantic books, and Kathy Bates's character is a super fan of these the Misery novels. Yeah. And the writer of the Misery novels is James Kahn. And she is like his super fan because she's obsessive about getting all... It's like Harry Potter, but in the romantic fiction world. Yeah. They're that obsessive, the fans. And she does. she's lived around the next release of the next book. And then the book is released and Misery's character gets killed in the last book. And she just basically completely well, well, uh, loses no, it. Well, no, not quite. Not quite, because what happens is that he's writing the letter. He's writing, and he, he's right, yeah. he, so he because he goes to like this sort of mountain retreats to write the books. So he goes to the mountain retreat, and he's writing the the latest book. And because he thinks I wanted to be a real artist, this misery character has kind of taken over my career. She's given me all my money and everything like that. But I want to wipe the slate clean. I want yeah. to do something else. So he writes a draft of his final book, which is like this is what and when that makes more sense now. I'm yeah. thinking it's coming back to me now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when, <laughs> when he's driving off the mountain, when he's driving because it's like a mountain retreat, he's driving off the mountain to go back to the city to hand it in. He has an accident. He has an accident with this manuscript in his car. And then when he wakes up, he w- okay, he wakes up and we've got a clip here of essentially what happens. So as far as he's concerned, he's crashed a car and then he wakes up and this is what happens when our author, I can't remember his name, wakes up. There is nothing to worry about. You're going to be just fine. I'll take good care of you. I'm your number one fan. 
We're just outside Silver Creek. How long? You've been here two days. You're gonna be okay. My name is Annie Wilkes. Yes, that's right. I'm also a nurse. Here, take these. So that's a little bit of the author played by James Kahn, and he's mm -hmm. waking up, and he comes out of he comes out of well, he's been unconscious because he's been in a really really bad car crash where I think his his legs are broken and everything, and he wakes up and yeah, he's, he's in sort this. Yeah, he's hospital. He's bed bound, isn't he? He's bed bound, and because they're snowed in, it's kind of like he's like, oh, we can't go anywhere. We're snowed in. Don't worry, I'll look after you. I'm your number one fan. Oh, it's so great to meet you and all that kind of stuff, and he and it's one of these films. I think it's it's like a textbook textbook of how to essentially you start off not knowing much and everything looks nice and, and then little by little the situation deteriorates and you start realizing who on earth is this woman what on earth has happened why why am i here because i'm thinking like uh, a couple of weeks ago we spoke about 10 cloverfield lane yeah 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 we spoke about 10 cloverfield lane which is a film that is actually now i think about it very similar in a lot of ways to misery in that yeah. you have somebody car accident wakes up in a room with somebody who's saying oh this is what the deal is and all that kind of stuff and little by little you find stuff out little, and so obviously she's like she's like oh is that the new misery manuscript and he so she becomes she's caring she looks after him he starts healing and all that kind of stuff and then he lets her read the, the new, that's where i got yeah, it muddled up yeah. but in the wrong order but then she finds out that yeah. he's got different plans for misery yeah then she finds out he's got a different plan for misery and then the film changes the film, her character changes, it goes different. And it's just one of these things that is one of these films that's just so well made. Mm -hmm. I think by, directed by Rob Reiner, who I thought was mainly a, a comedy guy, but he's made some really, really, essentially yeah. when you put him with Stephen King, because he also did Stand By Me. Yeah. Yeah. He just, I see this is one of the few examples of a Stephen King novel that's been translated well to the screen. I, I can think of four. Because I think out of the, when you look at his canon of books and all the what? ones that have made into films, you think there aren't that many that are great ones, but there are a few that are great. Yeah, I agree with that. I would say yeah. I'll say Misery, Stand by Me, Shawshank Redemption. Oh, make it five: Misery, Stand by Me, Shawshank Redemption, The Green Mile, and The Mist. Yes, I think those ones stand out above anything else that, that has been adapted from a Stephen King from a Stephen King novel. So I like Sh a couple of the television ones. The Stand I thought was good, but. Yeah. That's probably very few in that of all this stuff he's done. Well, Sean? What, what, you want me to say? Yeah, this, this for me, this was an okay movie. I think I've only seen it the once. Okay. And uh, obviously that famous scene. I mean, <laughs> I love James Kahn. I primarily sort of for, for, for James Kahn. The hobbling um, scene. The hobbling scene. Yeah. Yes, oh, I remember that. That's just terrifying. That, that is the, that's I mean, the it, most famous scene from the film, but is, I refuse to play anything from that scene. No, you can't. No. I, I don't uh, think you can watch it again, actually. I haven't seen it once. You just can't keep your eyes oh, on the screen and do, when you see it again. I do think Kathy Bates played... You know, she was a proper like nutter, like excuse me, Sharon, like quite a lot of um, not not obviously you exception. <laughs> what are you going to say? <laughs> okay, moving on. Do I need to get my slap I mean, warmed up? <laughs> no, well, no, I think I think it's a total tour de force from Kathy Kathy yeah, Bates. Definitely. I think uh, the did same. She win, did she win any? She won the Oscar. She won, she won the yeah. best yeah. best actress Oscar for it. But and I think it's um I think I think it compares to Louise Fletcher's 
Uh, no, is it, who is it? Who played what, Nurse, Nurse Fletcher Nurse in Fletcher The One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest? Who, who, played, oh. who was that actress? Because she, she was... Wasn't it well. Gladys something or something? I don't know. Anyway, we yeah, think of that. Anyway, let's get back. Yeah, yeah. yeah but it's, it's, it's kind of like, oh, but I just think of the film, and especially like even that moment, uh, the fact that it builds things up to certain moments, and it becomes this cat and mouse game, yeah. where she's essentially like, I'm not going to let you go until you write yeah. until you write a Change better yeah. a better misery novel and he starts writing and then she she essentially becomes his editor coming in going no this is not good enough make it better yeah. and then she goes out she comes back and then there's there's things like where he's getting better but he's trying to hide the fact that he's getting better from her so that he can actually get out and he can try and figure a way of escaping her and the whole film is set within mainly this room in this house yeah but it's just so well done and the tension is so ratcheted up so that it's you get to the there's one bit in the film that i remember that's just about is it about a penguin it's about a penguin yes it's about that's it's, the, it's, the scene i was thinking of the same a, thing it's about a porcelain penguin being in the wrong place and i think and i think it's kind of and i think it's a sign of a great well of uh, of a great film and sometimes just great moments in a film when something mediocre becomes filled with such significance yes and you yourself you get it and you're kind of like for instance if if i said oh i went to watch this film the other day and oh my god there was this moment where a penguin was in the wrong place he'll be like what the okay. heck is wrong with what? you but when you watch the film you get i think that there's a couple of moments like um in films that i can think of like uh in the film Unbreakable with Bruce Willis and Samuel oh, L. Jackson. Oh, that's a great film. There's this yeah. scene where Samuel L. Jackson is standing at the top of a set of yes. stairs. Yeah. Uh-uh. And that scene, just him standing at the top of a set of stairs, because of the way the film has been built, you're like, oh no, Don't no. go near the stairs. It's yeah. just a guy standing at the set of stairs. And hey. Another film, Room, that was released a couple of uh, like a couple yes. of months back. There's another scene in there with another with a set of stairs as well. And what, when, she, when this kid just gets to the set of stairs, you're like, oh my god of course that is so significant and i think misery does that where yeah. all these tiny moments just become laden with significance and the fact that even at the end of the film even though it ends in a kind of like you know sort of like horror movie bad guy kind of <laughs> ending even then it's just sort of haunting because you know that whoever okay without giving any spoilers whoever survives this battle of wills between mm. these two people is going to be haunted forever by whatever by what yes. happened, and yeah. it's it's uh, it's 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 I I really really like misery. I think yeah. it's I think it's just it's almost kind of like it's it's like a good translation of a play of a, like a chamber piece mm. to a movie. I just think it's great, and it's mostly yeah. just two people. It's and good. I think it reminds us as well how good James Khan can be. Yeah, because I think yeah. we'd forgotten oh, that actually he can be really good yeah <laughs> i don't know what he's been he's, doing he's but actor. he seemed like to james sort of Khan. fall from favor a lot didn't he but yeah, he this really reminded us that actually james khan he, when he's good he's good yeah because it's, it's one of those things because james khan i knew mostly as like you know um mob bosses or tough guys yeah. in movies and this was even before i saw the godfather hmm. i just knew him as like you know this guy's gonna walk in and he's gonna threaten a couple of people and all that and he, but he shows so many different like yeah. I think and the, acting. I think remember, his what, look of fear when she walks into the oh good lord in that scene John Wayne oh. movie was he in he, he was in Eldorado he was he? in Eldorado well done yeah. was he yeah, yeah he was yeah. Oh, he was Mississippi he wore in Mississippi he wore a hat and had a, a top hat and, and had a big yeah yeah. yeah. was it a shotgun and he had a big knife or something big knife because yeah. he yeah, just yeah, couldn't he was the one with the knife yeah he was like the young lad that and I think at one time he he dressed up like a Chinese person, didn't he? Oh, yeah. Yes. That, yeah. That oh, was, yes. James Conn. And then he yeah. mixes something and they feed it. Yeah. Oh, it. yeah. oh, yeah. I, I, that was the first John He's Wayne movie I ever saw. Yeah. James Kahn is, James Kahn's just like, like, 
fun. Have you ever seen The Gambler, the original, not the new one? With no. Oh, that's, that's top film. Well, I, I think I think James Caan is I think is a brilliant actor. He's excellent. He's a brilliant, brilliant actor. Mickey Blue Eyes. Again, you see Mickey Blue Eyes. I'll tell you one thing about Mickey Blue Eyes. Yeah. Forget about it. Yeah. Just forget about it. <laughs> forget about it. Man. Forget about it. So it's like, it's oh you know oh but James Caan brilliant. Wish you would. Uh, I think someone someone should just give him something to showcase him. Yeah. For because uh, like, I think it's brilliant. All right, cool. Um, so thanks, Ellie. Thank you very much, yeah, Ellie. Thanks, thank you very much, Ellie, for that. And now we get to it's the reckoning. It's okay. time for the reckoning. A final sh- movie. You should get this from this. Really, okay. I think you've got it. Sharon, Sharon's nailed it. I think. But anyway, having become primarily recognised as a musical commentary actress, she gradually took on more dramatic roles to broaden her range, and she starred in an Alfred Hitchcock's suspense film with James Stewart. What? Oh! <laughs> <laughs> got it! Yeah? Got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. An Alfred Hitchcock suspense film with James Stewart. Uh, okay, I've got it. I was I was, I was, was on one track, and then when you said that, I was like, what the? And like, it just came right You've into my it, head, yeah. and I figured, out, I figured it out. Sharon, you got it? I think it's Doris Day. I think it's Doris Day. <laughs> well done, you guys. It is Doris Day. <laughs> what was the, what was the number three key um, thing again? Number three. The round bottom circus star. Yeah, she was around in two thousand and six. Yeah. So that was the year because you were thinking. Who had, is know, she still alive? A bit of a she's she's still alive. She is still alive. She's, still, she's, she's still, still alive, alive yeah, but she's she just. Had a, she had a ninety-second birthday in April, I think, or something like that. Ninety-fourth birthday. Yeah, yeah. she's she's still alive, but she's just a recluse. Yeah, she, she's she become like, like an animal welfare type she has, person. Yeah, she's an, I was going to put the animal welfare in there, but I mean, I think, I think yeah, that yeah. would. I don't know. Yeah. I think and that, actually, what's quite interesting? That's part of the. Do you ever see at the end of movies if you stay the credit comes up? No animals were harmed in yeah. this movie by, and it's got the uh, Animal Humane Society. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's something to do with that. All right, so, cool. Yeah. Well, that, that, was, that was a good one, sure. That was a good one. Had me it's guessing for a while. Because I seem to remember that her, her maiden like name was was sort of like Klinkerhofen. You know, it's one of those, it yeah. was proper German, yeah. but it wasn't Klinkerhofen. That's no. from a low, a low. It was a light. But it's something like that. <laughs> okay. Up, up until up until the last clue, uh, up, no, up until the third clue, I was thinking Judy Garland. Yeah, I, well, that was uh, it. But uh, with the, yeah, I was. I was I mean, thinking Judy Garland, but when you said 2006, I was like, I don't think she was still. No, no Judy Garland died long before then. Yeah, I was thinking. I, was thinking yeah. I don't think she was around until I, she was. She, Judy Garland was. Well, let me put this way: Judy Garland was al- was alive long enough to get old. Yes, well, so, she, well she she wasn't old, old physically. She, but she old. looked old. She did look old. She, she was only in her forties, wasn't she, when she, she died? Was, yeah, yeah, really. But yeah. she looked. She looked well. Twenty older. years older. Yeah, yeah, I think it was just the prescription pills and everything like that. Yeah. Must have done her in. When you see her last performance, you think. My goodness, what have they done to you? Mm, yeah, well, the funny thing is, I actually think that as the older she got, the more like Liza Minnelli she looked. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so if, if, you, if you look like... It's, you can see her, yeah, her, yeah. When you see an old Judy Garland, you think, oh my God, she is Liza Minnelli's mum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for that. In the meantime, please uh, listen to your doctors, get well soon. And remember that as always, they, they don't, don't make them like they used to. to. <laughs>